And so last week we started looking at Romans chapter 8, and as we, as we looked at it, um, we said um, we are going to focus primarily on what does it mean to have the Holy Spirit in our life. Um, Paul, in this passage, um, uses Holy Spirit like 19 times in here, um, and so it's a very significant um, thought that he's trying to get across to his readers. Um, we discussed how... Paul, this is the Apostle Paul, he's, he's writing this letter um, to a church in Rome, uh, primarily a Gentile church, so not Jewish, not the Israelite uh, congregation, but primarily a Gentile church, and he's writing it to help them understand um, how do we have a right standing with God. Um, Paul starts out by identifying, man, we have messed things up with our relationship with God. Uh, we once had a perfect relationship with God. And we totally messed that up. And so Romans then is written about how do we get back to that right relationship with God? How do we restore that and to bring that back? Um, and, and Paul ultimately comes to the conclusion, as we talked about last week, there's actually nothing we can do. God did that for us. And so it's through us coming to him um, and accepting what he's done. And so last week we talked about how um, we looked at, at the first four verses of Romans 8. We were able to identify um, God's work in that process of our salvation, of us having relationship with him. Uh, we, we talked about how um, it was because of the Father, the will of the Father, through the work of the Son, so that we can walk in the Spirit. Right? It, was this, it was this picture where we were able to see the three persons of the Trinity, the three persons that we call God, um, together in their role, each one of their roles in our salvation process. And so the, it was through the Father's work, it was through the, 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 or the Father's will, the Father, it was the Father that made that first step toward us. It was through the Son being obedient and dying on the cross, which is what we celebrate come Easter and then raising from the dead. We can have that newness of life. And then we wrapped up by talking about the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. How do we walk in the Spirit? What does it look like to walk then in the Spirit? Um, and so over the next two weeks, we're actually going to look at di two different aspects of walking in the Spirit. This week, we're going to talk about the internal part of that. What does that mean for my mind and my heart and my emotions and all of that stuff? And then next week, we're going to talk about the external, then what should be producing in my life if, if if the internal is where it needs to be then then what does that look like for the way i live my life um and then ultimately what does my eternity look like what does that look like to be uh, as paul's going to say adopted sons um, of god and so that's kind of where we're heading over the next couple of weeks and the holy spirit um is a big deal it's a, it's it's an important part of what we believe and I, and I feel like the, in the West, in our, in our cultures, in the church, in America, even in, in kind of in the Bible Belt where we live, we've kind of we've kind of taken the Holy Spirit and we've kind of tucked Him in in our pocket, right? We've, we don't really talk about Him a whole lot. Uh, we were talking about this in our life group, and, and I think I made the, the comment that we, we kind of look at the Holy Spirit as kind of like our crazy uncle that we don't talk to people about too much because we don't really understand the way that He operates and what He does. So we just kind of like ignore Him somewhat. Um, but if, if we get into the word of scripture and we look at the writings of, of how we live this life out as a follower of Jesus, you can't escape the fact that, that, that to be a follower of Jesus means that you're walking by the Spirit. The Spirit of God is, is living and moving inside of you. 
Um, I saw a I saw a quote this week that really stood out to me um, by a guy named John Stott. Um, he's an English theologian, um, but I, but I love I love what he said, and it, and it hit me as I read. He said, "Without the Holy Spirit, true Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, indeed impossible." Um, and he says, "You know, if we don't have the Holy Spirit, there's no way we're going to grow in our relationship with Christ. If the Spirit's not working and moving." We're going to just be stagnant. Like it's, it's impossible to even think about that because that would mean that we're doing it on our own. And there's no way. If you, if you are honest with yourself, um, as I try to be as much as I can, um, I, I realize that there's no way on my own that I'm going to grow and desire to be more and more like God. That's the work of the Spirit inside of me. And so that's where we're heading today. And so, like I said, we're going to look at the internal aspect of that. What does that what does that mean for me to walk and to think about the spirit? And we're going to kind of come around this phrase um, that I think really captures what Paul is saying here. And that's this whatever has your mind has you. Whatever it is that that, that has your mind, this is what Paul's going to say, your mind, your mindset, whatever ultimately has that place in your life ultimately has you. Because everything flows from that. Right? Um, everything flows from your mind. If you think about anything that you go to do, right, it all starts up here in your mind. I think about it, then I, then it hits down to my emotions, and I get moved by it, and then ultimately then that kind of moves to action. And so we're going to start where Paul starts, and that's with the mind. The mind. And so we're going to be today looking at verses 5, and we're going to go all the way down to verse 11. So I hope you have your Bibles with you. Please pull them out if you do or turn them on, um, flip them on, you know, whatever it is, um, to Romans chapter 8, 5 through 11. And we're going to just work our way through the text today. Um, a lot of times we'll, we'll read the whole passage together and then we'll go back and look at it. But today I think it, it's, it's helpful. We're just going to go in the same flow that Paul does as he writes this. And so we're just going to read through it and talk through it as we go. So Romans chapter 8. Starting in verse 5, Paul says this. He says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Okay, and there's, there's some significant things that Paul points out here. Right? He says that if you're going to live according to the flesh, right? if you're going to set your minds on the flesh, then, then, then you're ultimately going to live in that way. But if you set your mind on the Spirit, then you're going to live according to the Spirit. And I, and I think that makes sense for us on a, on a surface level here. Um, it makes sense that whatever you set your mind on is, is what your actions are going to lead to. Um, but I think it's important early on to, to have a little moment of clarity. What's, what's Paul talking about? The flesh and the spirit, right? What's he talking about? Well, he's not talking about two different types of Christians here. He's not talking about the fact that I'm a Christian and I still struggle. He's talking about people that have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ um, and that are now living by the spirit. And then on the other side, he's talking about people who have not done that, who have not done that. So we'll, we'll just refer to them today as non-Christians. And so he's talking about people that have taken up the banner of Jesus. So when he talks about having a mind after the Spirit, he's talking about those that are following Jesus. When he's, when he's talking about those that are um, in the flesh, he's talking about those that have not put on Christ, that have not accepted Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. 
And so uh, one of the things that, that's going to become apparent early on is that, that our mindset expresses our basic nature. Okay, Our mindset expresses our basic nature. Our mindset tells us a lot about that. The things that we focus our mind on tells us at, at, in our heart who is, uh, who is on the throne there. Who is on the throne of our life? Is it us? Do we just focus and think about ourselves? Or is it God? Is it God? Is it, is it, do I have God in that place in my life? And so that's what he is, he is building up to. It's a, it's a either or situation. It's not a both and. And so it's, it's either you are um, following the flesh and the world and not Jesus, or you are following Jesus and living by the spirit. That's what he's comparing here. And so when he uses the word flesh, it's important that we understand this word. Because um, this can be a confusing term in our English Bibles. When we read through that, we're like, well, yeah, we all have flesh. How do we live without flesh? That would be weird. Uh, what does that mean? But when, when Paul uses the word flesh, I'm going to teach you a little. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to teach you a little Greek today so you can impress your friends at lunch. Okay? <laughs> teach a little Greek word. All right. Greek word sarks. Everybody say sarks. It's really fun. It's like you have a lisp and say sharks. Sarks. Um, sarks. And so sarks really means our sin nature. Okay? It means our sin nature. It doesn't mean that I'm human and that I'm, I'm, I'm covered in skin. But it means our, our fleshly nature. As we talked about last week, we are born into the world with a sinful nature. Right? Um, I don't mean to call out Sam. I know your kids are wonderful, Sam. But, I mean, would you testify this morning that your kids are born with a sinful nature? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you didn't have to agree with me that much, right? But we all know it's very apparent. We don't have to teach ourselves how to sin. It's our natural go-to in our lives. Um, without, without the work of Christ, without the Spirit living in our lives, we just head in that direction naturally. And so when Paul uses this word sarks, that's what he's talking about is that, that, that nature, that sinful nature, that fallen, egocentric nature where it's just all about me. It's all about what I want. And so that's what he is referring to. And so when we are living in that way, then we set our minds on those things, right? We set our minds on the things that are most important to us. Right? And that doesn't mean because you're a Christian that you always think about other people or what God wants you to do. But when you're not, when you don't have the life of Christ, when Christ isn't living in you and the Spirit is, is, is moving in your life, then you just, everything you think about is, is, is kind of about yourself a lot of times, most of the time, all the time, at the core, right? And so, so as Paul is setting it up here, he says, those who live uh, according to the flesh set their minds on those things. But as we set our minds on the Spirit, then we live according to the Spirit. And so you may ask yourself, you may ask the question, well, what, is it, what does it mean to set your mind on something, right? Because that's not a term that we use a whole lot. I don't know if anybody's used that today, um, but I haven't used that term, set my mind on something, right? But what, what it means is, is really it's more than just an intellectual activity, but it's, a, it's the direction and purpose of what we would call our heart our intentions, those things deep down inside that drive everything else that we do, right? That, that's what it means to set your mind, set your heart, set your attention on those things. Where's your focus at in life? And so he's comparing those that are focused on themselves and those that are focused on God and on the Spirit. 
Um, and this isn't the only place that, that Paul or other writers talk about the significance of setting our minds on things. Um, in Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 3, Paul says this. We don't have it, but we do. Um, we just don't have a slide for you. So you can flip over there real quick, and I'm going to read it to you. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are from above, um, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, he says, But set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden in with Christ in God. And so if we're a follower of Jesus, our, our mind should be set on those heavenly things, not on the things around us. Um, in Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus is quoting, uh, they would ask him what, what the greatest commandment was, right? You guys are probably familiar with it. And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your, with all your mind, right? The mind. The mind is a significant place. <clears throat> Romans uh, 12 Verse 2, Paul says this, he says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind, right? It's, it's through our mind being renewed and changed that we're ultimately going to become more and more in the image of Christ, okay? So to help us to think through this a little bit more, here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to jump back into your groups for a minute, and I want you to, to think about this. Um, what has been a situation in your life where your mindset has dictated your actions? What's, what's a situation where um, you acted a certain way based on a perception that you had? Right, and, and and I can tell you the stories are way funnier when it was a wrong perception. Right, when when you thought one thing and then you let your actions do that, and then you realize that you were wrong and what you thought, you know. Um, but but think through a situation, and maybe just a few of you guys share those times where your mind has dictated your actions. All right, guys, we're gonna come back together. I heard some I heard some laughing back there in the back, so it sounds like there's some good stories being shared. Uh, hope you learned something about someone else. Um, but I think it's pretty obvious to any of us, our minds dictate, right? And that's why Paul starts with the mind, right? Because sin always, and, and we know we've defined sin as those things that lead us away from the heart of God, those things that ultimately are not just because we make God mad, but ultimately they're also bad for us, right? They break the heart of God. Um, but ultimately, therefore, our corruption, and, and they're not good for us. And so those sin things in our life, they always start with the internal and then move to the external. The mind leads to the actions, right? And we see this even in Scripture outside of Paul. James writes um, in James chapter 1, verse 14, he writes this. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured in. He's tempted when he's lured in by his own desire, right? That, that when we start to think about desire those things... That's kind of where it starts. And then desire, when it has conceived, right, when it's grown, it gives birth to sin. And then ultimately, he's pointing to where does sin lead? Well, sin leads to death, right? Sin ultimately leads to death. And Jesus talked about this, um, this, this same idea in, um, in the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus t taught on the Sermon on the Mount, when he would teach about things, he always was going after the heart or the intention of the issue, not just the action. So when he says, um, when he says, you know, you've heard it said that you shouldn't murder, but I tell you that even if you're angry with your brother, right, that you, that, that, that you deserve the judgment. He says that, uh, You've heard it said that you shouldn't commit adultery, right? This action, he said, but, but even if you look at a woman in a lustful way, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Like, like it starts in the mind. Um, sin always starts in 
the mind. And so Paul here is going to give us some categories. Um, he's going to he's going to basically give us some compare and contrast of living in the spirit and living in the mind. And so um, I just want to to do a little chart uh, on some of these things because I think it's it's helpful to see this. And so as we go through it, then um, it helps you to kind of um, see the comparison that Paul is is making. And so first um, first we have. Um, what Paul's going to say is the, or what we're going to see is we got a category. I don't know if that's right. Um, you guys that have been here for a while know that I can't spell. I'm okay with that, um, right? But there's there's two categories of of people that Paul's going to talk about. He's going to talk about those that are in the flesh, right, and those that are in the spirit. Okay, this is going to be the comparison that he makes. And he's going to say that, depending on which one, it's going to affect your perspective. You need to get an assistant to come up here and write these things. Um, because, because you're either going to have your mind in the flesh, or you're going to have your mind in the spirit. Right? Your perspective is going to be different. Your focus is going to be different. And even your conduct, the way that you live, is going to be different. Right? There's those that live according to the flesh and those that live according to the Spirit. Right? So our conduct. So there's, there's a different category. There's a different perspective. There's a different uh, conduct. And ultimately, our final state will be different. He's going to talk about that in just a few minutes. He's going to say, there, for those that are in the flesh, there's death. And hostility toward God. Those that are in the spirit, he's going to say, there's life and peace. And so these become the categories. These become um, the distinctives of those that are either in the flesh or in the spirit. And that's, that's kind of what Paul's going to be talking through the, 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 the rest of the section. Uh, one guy once said it this way. It said, he said, thus... Uh, Those things that we set our mind on and the things that that occupy it play a key role both in our present conduct and our final destiny, right? It's not just here that we see the difference, but also leading to our final destiny, eternity, right? Which leads us into the next thing that Paul's going to address here. He says that our mindset has eternal consequences. There's eternal consequences based on where our mind is set. Look at verse 6. He says, For to set the mind on the flesh is what? Death. Death. Very good. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. He's making a distinction about what happens when this life is over. Right. One way of setting your mind is going to lead to eternal death, and the other is going to lead to eternal life and peace um, with God. He's making this comparison. Uh, In Jeremiah chapter 21, verse 8, Jeremiah says this. This is not the only place. Even the Old Testament. God is saying this to the prophet Jeremiah. He said, "And, and to this people you should say this. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I have set before you the way to life and the way to death. Right? There's a there's a there's a choice. Jesus says there's a there's a path. There's a narrow path that leads to life, and there's a wide, easy path that we just naturally go down. It leads to death. See, the mind, the mind is is a very interesting thing because uh, it, 
the, the mind on the inside, it brings conviction that dictates our outside condition, right? Um, the way that we think tells us a lot about where we're headed one day, and that's what Paul's addressing here. And I think sometimes we can be really good at hiding that, right? We can be really good. Like, I know a lot of people who are not followers of Jesus, and they do some really good things, some of the people that do some of the most important things, I would say, for the world even, may not even follow Jesus. Some of the people that are working hard to end things like AIDS and, and, and people being oppressed and stuff like that, they don't have Christ in their life, right? But I think it's, I think it's, kind, of, uh, I think it's kind of like this illustration um, that we, we kind of have, have experienced. Um, if you've ever had a house, seen a house, right, uh, that has termites, you guys ever, ever seen a house that has termites? Um, and one of the things about termites is, like, you can kind of cover up the damage of the termites. Like, you can put some other wood up. You can paint around that. But ultimately, at the core, right, if you don't take care of the problem, if you don't take care of that root problem, then it's going to destroy everything you have. The house can look nice and beautiful on the outside, but if there's termites, um, it can destroy everything. We learned that the hard way. Uh, we, did a, we bought a house one time, and we did our termite inspection in the winter. Evidently, termites hide in the winter, and so they hide from the inspectors. At least that's what we were told. Uh, maybe we just got ripped off. I don't know, right? But then springtime came, and then all of a sudden we started seeing these things flying around, right? Um, and it was below the surface, and I think a lot of times that's how sin is in our life. Like, like we, we kind of hide it, and we don't recognize it, but it's eating away. It's eating away, eating away at us. And that's what sin does. Um, it eats away at us. And one day, as Paul says, the mind, the things that we focus on, is going to lead either to death or to life and peace with God. Um, when we think about peace with God, right, I don't think we pay a lot of attention to that in, this, in, in our world. We think about what it, what it means to have peace between you and your creator, between you and the God of the universe, right? Think about, think about how important that is, right? And when our mind is set on the spirit and the things that God uh, would have us to do and we're living according to the spirit, we have peace with God, which then pours over to peace with each other, right? Hopefully there shouldn't be conflict. That's why Paul and so many of the other New Testament writers talk about how we should have unity within the body of Christ, how the church should be a place that we come together and we care for one another, not a place that we're at each other, Right? So it's peace with God, peace with others, and also produces a peace within. The Bible says there's a peace that passes understanding. It's the reason that if you've ever known someone who's a follower of Jesus and like something has rocked their world, but they don't react the same way as a lot of other people do. Right? They have, seem to have this inner peace even when they're going through trying and difficult situations. That's, that starts with having the peace with God. That starts by setting your mind on God and focusing on the things of God. And so we need to be aware of those things. We need to be aware of that sin. And we need to be aware that just because I don't feel the immediate consequences of that sin in my life today doesn't mean that they're not coming one day. It reminds me of a, um, it reminds me of a story I heard about uh, this uh, in the Philippines. There's this place called Mount Pinatubo. Mount Pinatubo. And, and, um, this has been one of those places a lot of people will go and explore and 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 uh, hike and all that sort of stuff. They take their you know they take their families there and they do um, all kinds of different activities and stuff. Um, and one guy, one researcher, he said this. He said, ultimately, this is not a mountain; it's a volcano. He says, but when the volcano is silent for many years, 
Uh, a lot of people forget that, that it's a volcano and they start to treat it like a mountain. And I think that's what we do with sin a lot of times. Um, we like to just kind of excuse it and we're like, you know, just because I don't feel the effects of what it's doing currently, just because it hasn't broken my life in this moment, I forget about the weight of what it means to set my mind on, on the flesh, to not set it on Christ, to not be uh, in the spirit. So for us to think about those things, our, our eternal destiny is at stake. And then Paul is going to go on in verse 7. He's going to say our mindset also determines our attitudes toward God. Look at verse 7. He says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to his law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Right? The mind that is set on the flesh, it's hostile. At the core, it's against God. It can't, right? Because, because as we were talking about a few minutes ago, right, we all kind of have this, and this is going to be an awful drawing, so please excuse that, right? But we all have a, a throne in our life, right? In our, in our hearts, in our minds, we all have a throne. And, and, and somebody's got to be sitting on that throne. And for, for us, as we're born into the world, we're sitting on that throne. And what that looks like is that everything in the world revolves around us. What's for my benefit? You know, the things that I do, the relationships that I have, how I view other people, they're for my benefit. I'm going to become friends with the people that are going to benefit me. You know, if this relationship benefits me, then I'm going to stick in it. If not, I'm just going to kind of throw it to the side because I'm on the seat of the throne. And we're all born in that way. That's the mind of the flesh, right? There's a throne in our minds. And that's what we focus on. And it's usually, it's always ourselves. But for those of us that have put our faith in Jesus, we realize that part of that process is me stepping off of that throne and submitting that to God and putting a better king on the throne than myself. Right? That's part of our process. It's not just I said a prayer one time and so now I'm good with God. I don't go to hell. It's like, no, now he is the Lord of my life. He's everything. And he's on the throne. And so now my mind is set on what it is that he would want me to do. It's, it's his plan and his purpose and his will in my life. And so Paul is just making that clear. He says that, that, that if your mind is on the flesh, then it's going to ultimately be hostile to God. Because in that sinful, fallen state, God is going to be opposed to the things that you are doing. Right? Because it's not about you. It shouldn't be about you. We weren't created for us to be, it to be about us. But our minds are hostile toward God. He says that we can't submit. That word submit is a military term. It means to arrange under the control of something else. Right? And so, so those of you who may be familiar with the military, right? There's usually a someone in charge, either a drill sergeant during your training, or there's a, you know, there's a captain depending on which branch you're in. But there's someone who's in control of your unit in the military, and you have to come under the authority and the submission of that person. And that's what Paul is saying: is that when our minds on the flesh, we can't come under that because we want to just run from that. We want to be on the throne. Um. The, the, or the uh, John, in 1 John chapter 3, talks about this idea, too, of what it means to be in Christ. What does it look like to, to, to not submit to Christ? Look what he says in uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 6. He says, no one, who keep, uh, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either known him, seen him or known him. Right? And so this is, the John is not saying we have to be perfect. But we shouldn't continue to, to, to live this way. We shouldn't continue to desire and be okay with sin in our life. Otherwise, we're not in him. 
right? And that's John writing that. That's not me saying that this morning. In John chapter, First uh, John three ten, he says, "By this it is evident who are the children of God. Who are those that are gods?" He says, "And who are children of the devil?" Whoever does not practice righteousness, who doesn't do those things that God has called them to do, is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother, right? And so, and so our mindset, are we willing to submit to God? Are we willing to submit our wills and our minds? Um, and as we get into that, there's, there's kind of two ideas of submission that's at play, um, and I, I want to be clear on those just so we understand those. Um, there is what I would call a positional um, submission. And what that means is that, hey, I'm born into the world and I'm on the throne, right? I'm sitting here, it's all about me. And there comes a moment when I realize the truth of what God did through the gospel of Jesus. And I get off that throne and Jesus sits on that throne in my life, right? And it's all about him at that point, right? That's a one-time thing. It's the reason that we don't feel like you have to come and get saved every week. It happens one time. Positionally, I go from being in the flesh to in the spirit, Okay, that's positional. But then there's also this relational idea of submission that I think comes into play as we look at living in the Spirit. And what that means is that every single day when I wake up, I have to submit my will to, to God's will. I have to intentionally think, what is it that God wants me to do? You know? Um, I got to think about that. I got to start my day off and make that decision. Am I, am I going to live for Him or I'm going to live for I'm still positionally in Christ. My eternal destiny is not changing. But how am I going to live my day out? You know, am I going to submit to what He wants me to do every single day, or am I not? And so, the there's the day to day submission, and then there's the uh, one time, which we would call uh, positional submitting to Christ. And and I think where a lot of people are a lot of times when it comes to this point of actually turning it all up and, and getting off the throne. I think one of the problems that we run into is that we really, really like Jesus a lot of times. So we come into church, and we like, well, amen and hallelujah, and we like what Jesus says, but we don't really want to become like him, right? And that's what the mind in the spirit is all about. We don't want to become like him because that's hard, and it requires sacrifice, and it's going to cost something. We think it's really, really beautiful how Jesus washed his disciples' feet, Right? But the idea of us going and serving somebody else, we, we're not all about that. That doesn't sound too appealing to us. You know? We, we love the fact that Jesus was spit upon and, and was cursed at and, was, and the shame brought upon him, right, for our sins. We love that idea. But yet, when we stand up for our faith and someone says something mean or negative or nasty to us, man, we don't, we don't, we don't want to lay our rights down for that. Right? We love the fact that he suffered, but yet we're only focused on what's good for me in my life, right? We're completely okay that Jesus came and, and suffered and was humiliated and spit upon and, and laughed at, right? When we're just like, amen, we're about to come into the season where we celebrate what he did for us. And, and we will say amen and hallelujah and we're so grateful. But yet the first time that somebody says something mean to us because we're bold enough to share our faith, we just want to walk away from it all. I would beg you this morning to think about where you're at. Have you put it all, have you got off that throne and put it all to the side and said, you know what, I want Christ to be there. I want my life to emulate him. Am I willing to live like him? See, a lot of times we think that he's a good savior, but we don't think he's a very good role model, do we? Right? Like we're, we were like, praise God that Jesus came and died. But yet when you call me to take up my cross daily and to die, I'm not really about that. And I would beg you, I beg you. The word of scripture even says that. 
In 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, John writes this. He says, whoever says he abides, whoever says that he is in him, in Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Right? And so if our lives don't reflect that, if our lives don't reflect us living in the Spirit, we need to ask a question, am I in the Spirit? And this isn't to to cast a shadow of a doubt on your salvation if it's secure, because if you're in him, you're in him. There's nothing, he's very clear in John, that there's nothing can take that away. (laughs) But if my life is not living according to him, and it's not lining up according to him, we need to ask, what's happening in our hearts? If I don't desire to do the things that he did and to live and walk according to the way that Jesus walked, is he in there, right? Is he on the throne, or am I still sitting there with just kind of this idea that Jesus is somewhere in the picture? And so Paul says that, that we won't submit to him. And ultimately, we can't even please God, right? Because it's, it's us at the core. So I want to go back and address that question. How can someone who doesn't know Jesus still do good things, right? How can someone who doesn't know the love and the hope of Jesus, how can they still do good things? And I would say that they can still do outwardly good things, but the purpose of all of that is for themselves because they're still sitting on the throne, Right? So I go out and I feed the poor, but ultimately that's to give me a warm, fuzzy feeling that I did what I needed to do because I need something to validate myself or to feel significant or important. Right? I can go out and I can, and I can you know, buy all of this sort of stuff and give it away to other people and I can care about all these other people, but ultimately it's somehow going to benefit me. And so nothing that you do in the flesh is ultimately going to please God. If you're in the flesh, you can't please God. Our so-called good works... And the civilization, our culture, and, and our man-elevated progress that we all talk about is nothing but a stench in the nostrils of God, as one guy said. Our religious work that we do in the church sometimes is nothing but lukewarmness of the flesh, right? We can even be in the church and do good things, but yet not be in the Spirit. And so the call this morning is, where are you? What are you doing? What are you doing in your life? Um, Pastor John Piper, I love... He points out, he says that um, before a person can perform their best acts, they must become a new person. Before they can be transformed, he said, because a thorn bush cannot produce figs, an apple tree cannot produce olives, and a natural man cannot produce faith. And I love that picture, right? It's just not your nature. It's not your nature. You're not going to desire those things. It's like it's it's kind of like this. Um, you guys ever, you guys had a house plant? a little plant in your house before y'all ever done that? You get this cute little plant. I know as a kid, like we would plant things, little seeds in the ground or whatever, and then they would tell you to, to water it and to put it where? Sun. Put it in the sun. Yeah, thank you, Yvonne. She, she knows. Um, you put it in the sun. So you would put your little plant in your window, right? And what you notice is if, if you look at that plant long enough, it's going to start to grow toward the sun, right? It's going to grow toward the window, wherever that the sun is, and it'll start to grow that way, which is really interesting. But then if you flip the plant around right? It'll start growing the other way, right? Because it's growing toward the sun. And I think that's a beautiful picture of what our lives should be looking like. If we're living in the spirit, we should be growing toward Jesus. We should be growing toward the things that the spirit is calling us to grow toward. And if we're not, we're going to grow toward our own selfish desires. And so are we saved by what we do? Absolutely not. But what we do, does, is that an indicator a lot of times for, for what's, what's on the throne of our lives? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we do a lot of things to try to please God and to think about that. So we live in the flesh. 
And then Paul moves on and he says, okay, so, so that's what it looks like to live in the flesh. Now Paul goes on to explain, well, what does it look like to live in the spirit? What does it mean to set our minds on the things of God and to set our mind on the spirit? And starting in verse 9 through 11, he, he fleshes that out for us a little bit more. Verse 9, he says this. He says, you, however, right? He's writing to, to the believers in the church. He says, but, but you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. He said that there can be a, there can be a confirmation in your life to know that you're God's. Do you know that? Like, we can have assurance that we're God's. We don't have to go throughout our life questioning whether or not we're God's. We belong to God. We can have assurance in that. And that confirmation comes through the dwelling, indwelling of the Spirit. Do you have the Spirit living in you? You know? Do you have the Spirit? Are you convicted of the sin in your life? Do you feel that tug and that conviction, right, when you're, when you're, when you're sinning in your life? Are you, are you have a desire to follow Christ? That's all the work of the Spirit living in us. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, John says this. Right, I'm up there. He says, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. The Spirit is a marker. It's a seal. It shows that we belong to God. And so if you have the Spirit living in you, Right? If your desires are to do the thing that God has done, or God wants you to do, that comes from the Spirit. That doesn't come from your flesh. That doesn't come from your natural um, nature. That comes from having the Spirit in your life. And so if you've submitted yourself to Christ, and you have the Spirit in your life, that's a sign that we can be assured that we belong to God, and that we're His. This word dwell is a, is a really interesting word. It says that if you have the Spirit that dwells in you. This is an interesting word. I, I love this word and this picture of this, right? Because the word dwell here is the same word that John uses in John chapter 114, uh, verse 14, when he's talking about Jesus. And he says this in John 114, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? You guys familiar with that passage? That, 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 that Jesus put on flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwell means to tabernacle, to live, to, to have take up residency, among us. And so what we understand is that when the Spirit dwells in us, He's actually taking up residency in our life. Right? He's taking up residency within our life. In the, in the Old Testament, we talked about this um, a few weeks ago in our, in our last series, but we talked about how in the Old Testament, the tabernacle was that portable place where the presence of God was. Right? So they would, they would pick up the tabernacle and they would take it from one place to the other. Um, and, and that was where the presence of God um, where they were able to have the presence of God in their midst. That's where the presence of God would dwell. And then later on, they built a permanent structure called the temple, and that's where the presence of God was. And in the New Testament, we learn that the presence of God actually happens through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So when you move from that place of being in the flesh to in the Spirit, God sends His Spirit to come and live in you and to dwell in you. And so it's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's to have the presence of the Spirit living in you. In uh, in Second Corinthians six sixteen, Paul Paul helps us to understand this. He says, uh, "What he talks about? He's talking about the temple, and he says, what agreement has the temple to do with idols?' For he says, we are the temple of the living God, as you said. And God says, I will make my dwelling among you and walk among you, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. 
Right? There's this idea of that when you put on Christ, when you come to Jesus, when, when you turn it over, when you submit your life to Him, then now His Spirit is living in you. And that starts to guide everything you do. So when you wake up in the morning, right, that's what starts to guide you to, how am I going to live for Christ today? Right? Um, I, hate, I hate it when I was in church and I was a youth and they called out the youth and say, now kids, let me tell you what this was like, but I'm going to do that, right? So students, right? Students, like when you get to school and you're hanging out with your friends and that person says something or does something or tries to influence you to do something that you know um, is going to lead to sin and lead you away from the heart of God. If you have the spirit in you, that's the tug, right? It's the thing that makes you feel awkward on inside. Like I shouldn't do it. I shouldn't give in to this pressure. I shouldn't, 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 right? That's the spirit. That's the conviction of the Spirit that's living inside of us. That is the presence of God living inside of each one of the believers. And it's important. And He dwells in us. He dwells in us. And so as we walk, we need to stay connected to that. We need to be aware of the Spirit's indwelling in our lives. And it's kind of like the difference between two types of trains. Uh, and I thought this was pretty helpful. I actually stole this from one of our pastors in Roanoke. So, um, but I thought it was a really good analogy. Um, I'm really familiar with, like, um, locomotive, like coal-driven or steam-driven locomotive trains, right? You guys familiar with those, the big trains that have the big puffs of, yeah, kind of like that. Um, or diesel, a lot of these newer ones have run off of diesel, right? And so how do you power these, these giant beasts, right? What do you do? Well, you have to put, keep putting fuel in them, right? You've got to keep putting fuel in them over and over. And if you don't, then they stop, right? Pretty, pretty familiar. And I think a lot of times we think that that's what we need to do. Um, if we just do enough good things, then we'll kind of be a Christian. We just need to keep doing things, keep doing things, keep doing things, right? But I think it's much more like an electric train like they have over in Europe and a lot of other places um, like this. And as long as, I don't know if you can see up here, it's kind of blurry, uh, but as long as this part of the train is connected to that power line right there, right, it can go forever. You don't have to keep refilling the fuel. As long as it's connected to that power source, it is good to go. And I think that is a picture of what it looks like to be in the Spirit, as long as if we stay connected to the Spirit, right, through the reading of God's Word, through prayer, through listening to what the Spirit is saying to us, right, it's going to lead us in a direction toward godliness. It's going to lead us in a direction toward holiness. It's going to lead us in a direction toward the plan that God has for our lives, right? The problem comes when we disconnect from that, right? When we kind of give in to our selfishness or we kind of lose focus on that, right? And then we start to kind of get off the track or we start to slow down, our steam starts to slow down, Right? But if the Spirit dwells in us, we need to stay connected to that Spirit. It's a confirmation that we belong to Him. Verse 10, Paul goes on to address this and to, 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 to help us understand it a little bit more. He says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Bad news. We still live in a broken body. I don't know if I told, I told you guys this last week, right? But 100% of it, 100% of us are going to die at some point. It's a fact, right? Unless Jesus returns, we're all going to die because we live in broken bodies. And some of us maybe have a few more years than others, right? But our bodies are still broken. We're awaiting a better body. We're awaiting that perfected body we talked about uh, last week uh, in what we talked about glorification, that, that, that point where we're gonna, those are going to get renewed. But we still live in a, in a fleshly, mortal, broken body. That's the reason that, 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 that even as Christians at times, we can be in Christ, but yet we still sometimes desire the things of the flesh, right? It's also the reason that, that we go through hard things in life because our bodies are still broken. But the good news is that our spirit gives life. So just because our bodies are breaking doesn't mean that our internal, 
Our spirits cannot be renewed in Christ. Our lives and our future are determined by what Christ is going to do. But our bodies are still influenced, right, by, by the sin in the world that we live in and the brokenness of the world that we live in. So Paul's reminding us of that. And then in verse 11 he says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. There's a hope. There's a hope that even though we live in a broken, messed up, twisted world, right, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that brought from death to life, right, the thing we're going to celebrate here in a few weeks, right, that that could still be at work within us. And so that produces a great amount of hope that there's going to come a day when we're not going to be tied to these broken bodies, right? That's the thing that as, as a believer that we put our hope in that there's a day coming, a better day coming, where we don't have to deal with the brokenness and the messed up things that we have to deal with in our world and in the spirit, right? The spirit is the one that's going to work and the spirit in our lives is, is what's going to give us new life. Uh, we talked about John six sixty three last week, but I think it's a, it's a good reminder here of, of a very practical step in our lives. John six sixty three says this, says it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And so this week I would encourage you um, all of us, um, those of us that have put our faith in Jesus Christ, to live by the Spirit, right? Listen and focus and turn our attention and realize it's a daily process of setting my mind on the things of the Spirit, right? How do I know what the things of the Spirit are, right? That's a good question. How do we know what the things of the Spirit are? Well, the Spirit has divinely, um, through inspiration, uh, used human figures to write down and to tell us those things in the Bible. That's what we believe. That's why we hold the Bible in such value, is that we can read the Bible and read what it is that the Spirit wants to say to us. And, and there's those moments, right? And we, we talked about this in our life group this week. There's these moments when you can read the Word of God, and it's something you've read a thousand times, right? Well, if you're a really good Christian, you've read it a thousand times. Maybe you read it like three or four times, all right? But, but, but something happens in that moment that the Spirit speaks in that passage in a way that you've never heard before, right? That's how we learn what it is the Spirit wants us to do, is through the time in the Word and through prayer and listening, Right, being available and listening to how that spirit is going to move in our lives and talk on us in our lives. It also happens through other believers. God will use other believers to encourage us in a way um, to help us to live according to the spirit. The encouragement this week is to live according to the spirit. And so, in the, in the last few minutes we have remaining together, um, here's what I want us to do. I want us to have a, a, a few minutes of discussion around this question right here. And it's this, what are those things? Okay, so we talked about submitting, right? And we talked about two different types of submitting. So for, for some of us, um, we've never got off the throne. And so that submission moment has never happened. We're still sitting on the throne. So, so we can't please God. We can't submit to God because we're still on the throne, right? So, so, so for some of us, the submitting might be, you know what? Today, I need to get off that throne and I need to put someone who is much more capable. Can I tell you that Jesus makes a much better king than we do? right like in the moment it seems like it's really good to be king um but we make some really dumb decisions and we do some really horrible things for ourselves um jesus is a much better king and so for some of us we need to step off that throne and put jesus on there but for others of us there may be things that i need to do in my life to daily submit to the spirit to walking by the spirit maybe that's a commitment to getting into the word first thing I heard, um, you guys, a lot of you guys know, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Francis Chan out in California. And one of the things I heard him say in a, in a sermon, he says, is when I wake up in the morning, 
He says, before my feet hit the ground, before I brush my teeth, before I do anything, he says, I sit in bed and I say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That Isaiah 6 moment, right? When he just, he just tries to set his mind on the holiness of God to get him into that moment. Because he says, I realize that if I don't, my whole day begins by thinking about me. And it's all about me for the rest of the day. So maybe that's what it is for you. Something that you need to set your mind first thing in the morning. Maybe it's a commitment to getting into the Word of God. Maybe it's a commitment to getting some accountability in your life so other people are going to encourage you to walk in Christ. Um, maybe it's something else that the Spirit's working in your life. But I want us to take the next few minutes and I want us to have that discussion of what is it in my life that needs to be submitted to God? Is it my position or is it something in my day-to-day -day life? Okay, so we're going to talk about that and we'll come back together and we'll sing one more song here in just a minute. Okay, so um, hopefully that was helpful. Um, again, our, our, our heart in having that time, um, you know, it's one thing to hear a guy up here talking about this stuff. Um, it's something completely different when you can share how that is working in your life or hear from other people what God's doing in their life or things that he's pushing them toward. Um, and so hopefully that was meaningful for you in those discussions. And so uh, we're going to close out with one song, uh, one last song called Christ In Christ Alone. Uh, it's an old hymn most of us are probably familiar with, maybe. Um, but during this time, what I want to um, just allow us to do is, um, you know, a lot of times we'll, we'll have that come to the front or, or whatever, um, but this morning, so much of what Paul wrote about in Romans 8 was about our mind, setting our mind on Christ, setting our mind on the Spirit and those things of the Spirit. Um, and so if, if you've never done that, right, if you've never had that moment where you've, where you've accepted Christ into your life, where you've set him up as king of your life and you've got off the throne, we don't want to miss that opportunity. And so there are several people um, that would be more than glad to pray with you this morning. Uh, normally I'm one of those, but I'm going to be running the slides. Uh, so Sam right here in the front, Heath in the back, I know both these guys would be more than glad to pray with anybody to talk to you about that more um, if that's kind of where you're at and, you're, and you want to make that step this morning. But for those of us who, who have, have already done that, and Christ is on the throne, but it's that daily submission, during this last song, which is Christ Alone, I think it's so fitting that Ross picked out this song, um, take the opportunity to, 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 to literally do that, to set your mind on, on Christ, to make that commitment this week. What is it that I need to do? What is it that you just had discussions with other people about? And make that commitment in your mind that, you know what, I'm going to actually live this out. And so that means I need to get some accountability. I need somebody else to help me with that. Or whether I'm just going to set my alarm earlier. I was talking with somebody yesterday. They said, you know what, i got to start by 15 minutes earlier, set my alarm. Um, and, and so maybe it's just that. Maybe it's just making that commitment. Whatever that is that the Spirit's pressing, use this time for that as well.